You know, it takes courage to have dreams and goals and want to improve our lives. And discouragement, it's a big part of productivity. This isn't just about squeezing more productivity out of a machine. There is an emotional dimension to, am I encouraged to continue to try to work towards my ideals? Because we get discouraged, disheartened, and we give up on the things that are important to us. So one of the most important things that I see in this and that weekly planning, reflecting on my previous week and looking at the next week is to come back to what's important to me. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 29. Today, we're talking about attention management. Attention management is a set of practices and habits that set you up to bring your unique gifts to the world by increasing the time that you're present, by minimizing distractions and finding flow. Seth Braun from the Stegen Leadership Academy is my guest today, and we'll be reviewing Stegen's Attention Zones model, which helps us increase awareness of where our attention is. The real juice, though, comes as we talk about attention in the postmodern world and review some key strategies for managing the precious resource that is our attention. Check the show notes for links to a PDF of Stegen's model and also for attention management strategies and practices. Enjoy the episode. Good morning, Seth. I'm uh, happy to have you here with me today, jamming on how we can give ourselves more time in flow and get more important stuff done. How are you this morning? I am great, and I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) I'm so happy. I'm going to talk about you just a little bit before we get started. Are you all right with that? Uh, Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Okay. All right, so Seth is the Director of Product Development at Stegen Leadership Academy. He's been working in the field of human development for over 25 years. He's also the author of three books with more coming and 10 ebooks on topics ranging from communication and coaching to nutrition and peak performance. And I think your upcoming is more a novel or a novella. Is that is that the case? Not full length novel and who knows when it will be done. Okay. (laughs) But it's yeah, you're working it though. Mm -hmm. So what did I leave out there? That's really a high level look of you. Two two teenage daughters married and um, my life is rich and full and wonderful. And you know, I love foraging and um, free diving and just I have I really have a rich full wonderful life that I'm very grateful for okay so you said foraging so you have to at least say what foraging is what you forage for foraging uh, medicinal and edible mushrooms is is the big big thing I'm interested in and nice amateur mycologist huh (laughs) all right (laughs) 
Well, maybe that's for another episode, huh? That's another episode. All right. All right. So you and I have partnered many times to deliver leadership programs through Stegen. And I see you as polished and unflappable in front of a room. And I'm really excited about doing this together. We were meeting just ahead just to jam a little bit. And I think we're going to have a good time with this. So I want to start by setting some context. So we're talking about attention management today. And the genesis of this was a model that Stegen created 20 years ago called the Attention Zones Model. Can we say what Stegen is? Yeah. Want to tell us what Stegen is? Stegen Leadership Academy does executive education and leadership development for organizations located in Dallas, Texas. Have clients all over the uh, all over the country and a few international and um, a growing entrepreneurial and small but mighty leadership firm. Thank you. That was important context to add in there. Yes. And I have been associated with Stegen somewhere around fifteen or seventeen years, something like that. And I've heard 18. You've heard 18. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So the attention zones model was really one of the very first models that Stegen created. Stegen has a superpower for bringing lots of information together, different models and tools, and making them really accessible and very pragmatic. The interesting thing about this model too was that it was created when we were using Blackberries Mm -hmm. instead of smartphones. Mm -hmm. And all that said, the model is not just still relevant, but even more relevant um, in today's time where we have more things demanding our attention, we have more incoming, we have more distractions, and we want to live fulfilling and meaningful lives. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have a way to navigate all of that incoming and be at choice with where we put our attention, because where we put our attention impacts our mood, It impacts our emotions, our relationships, and what we're able to bring to the world. So that's the context that I like to look at this. It can become very tactical and seem like a productivity tool, but the context is really much wider than that. That's my kickoff. How do you see attention management? God, there's so much there's so much there from being the person who has managed updating a lot of our content from to say blackberry to then to say you know smartphone and like going into that detail level of the model but then also thinking very broadly about um where we are and like we're, we're dealing with something in modern human existence that never happened never existed before and we're still in the experiment of it you know, we're still in the experiment of, I don't know that we exactly know what is happening with our relationship with our devices, with our relationship with attention. And, but we know that attention is bought and sold as a commodity. And there's a price per minute, price per second value attributed to uh, the attention that we put into a screen. So we know our attention is bought and sold. And so we know it's valuable. And like you said, this is not just about productivity. Productivity in service of what? Productivity in service of, I have a precious human birth. Here I am on the planet in a body, 
having this experience, whether you believe in God or your soul or spirituality, there's something that is miraculous about that. It just blows my mind. The fact that the cosmos is out here and we're on this spinning ball of water and earth around this flaming ball of gas in the middle of this ocean. It, like, this is the reality that's unfathomable and amazing. And, and how am I going to use this precious human birth and then we, then we move down to, well, how do I navigate through life in a way that's meaningful, purposeful, and creative? To me, creative is the most important piece. Well, and I want to add there, too, that we can look at this big picture that you just uh, mentioned about being on this earth, you know, very cosmic look at it. And what we each bring, this precious human birth, is unique to each one of us. And only we can bring the gifts that we have. No one, no one else has the unique uh, makeup of what we each are individually. And if we don't bring it, no one else is going to. If we don't bring it, no one else is going to. And we're going to have our own personalities, our temperaments, our constitutions, et cetera, that are going to affect how we make sense of something like productivity. So this gets us to Stegen's Attention Zones model. Stigan Leadership Academy had a much more robust, specific kind of uh, productivity system, which they scrapped. And they scrapped in service of a more principled-centered approach. And the attention zones model is simply says that there are four zones that we can engage in during our waking hours. Proactive zone, reactive zone, distraction zone, and waste zone. And this simple model... The funny thing is you and I have taught this many times and that we say we're not being prescriptive on what we think that is for you. I'm not going to tell you that Netflix is a distraction. We want you to consider what in your life is distraction and what is, you know, what's rejuvenating. Like there are certain things that I do with my family watching Netflix that are funny and humorous and we laugh and we have endorphins and it's rejuvenating and it's family time. It's great. But then there are things I do on Netflix where I start binge watching and it's 11 and it's 12. And then I'm pretty sure I am in now in a waste zone. Activity. Right. Yeah. And I want to say something about these this family time around the TV that I would actually put that in a proactive zone because that's the zone of rejuvenating, replenishing, you're building relationships, you're having a good time together. You planned it. You may even like have it. Uh, a marker, whether it's on your calendar or in your mind, that this is something that we do together every week. And it becomes a ritual. We actually, when the pandemic hit, we said, we're going to have forced family fun every day. And we're going to watch a half hour of something funny or play a game. And it's just scheduled in. We just, you know, oftentimes we watch like The Office or something, Parks and Rec, something funny after dinner. And it's planned and it's scheduled. And, you know, it's usually one episode. Once in a while, we do like, okay, we'll watch one more. But most of the time, it's one episode, and it's funny, and it's light, but it is a ritual. And you know what? With the pandemic being chaotic, it's just helpful to have something that's the same every day. Mm -hmm. But before we talk about the specifics of each one, I think it's important that we let your listeners know, what do we mean by proactive zone, reactive zone, distraction zone, and waste zone? Excellent. Thank you. So either one of us could talk about this because we've been teaching it for a long time. Why don't you go? All right, I'll go. So the proactive zone is really about what, what I would, and, and you're going to talk more about this, but what I would consider to be 
Uh, Stephen Covey's model would say this is important, but not urgent. So, so it has an analog in the seven habits material, things that are important, but not urgent. So what would that be? Going to the gym would be proactive. So working on a proposal for a client that's not due until two weeks, but it's going to take time to do iterations, share, send back and forth, get feedback. That's a proactive zone. Activity. Reactive zone is I had a client call this morning. They had to get a COVID test. They had to move something. I had to move another meeting around. And that was me working, spending my time, energy, and attention reactively to accommodate. And the majority of human beings in the Western world have an appropriate amount of time in the reactive zone because that's what work is. Work is reacting to problems. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's totally natural. And what we want to do is help people right-size the reactive zone. Because what can happen is we get the adrenaline and the stress hormone response of being in an emergency, and we want to stay in that kind of busy, not deep work state, and we can get into distraction. So reactivity can, can move quickly into what we call the distraction zone, which appears to be important, but isn't. It's just busy. This is scrolling through my emails. This is scrolling through social media feeds. This is kind of mindlessly going back and forth between tasks. There's a biochemical quality to this of scattered, uh, discursive, and, and being unfocused. And then the last one's waste zone. Waste zone is, is things that are inefficient, uh, bad systems, not being able to find the things that I need, having a mess, a mess on my desktop, literally, and then digitally. Uh, this could also be just, I'm tired and I just start to check out. And I've, I've crossed a th certain threat. I've overworked and now I'm just in exhaustion and I'm just kind of uh, staring off into space on my phone, half there, half, you know, not there. And that's, that's just wasting time. It could be laziness, can be wasting time, overwhelmed. You know, a lot of things can contribute to it. But those are the four zones, proactive, reactive, distraction and waste. So thank you for the brief overview there. I'm going to make some ads there. For me, distraction zone also comes in the form of anything that will, it feels like a yank to my attention. So that can be any kind of notification that shows up on my phone, an email notification, anything like that, that I might be focused and in the flow with something. And then this pop-up happens. And like you said, see, I can't believe that people still have these on their phones. <laughs> You're reminding me that this is the normal because I've gotten so accustomed, like you said earlier, I've gotten so accustomed to these things. Mm -hmm. I forget that people still have notifications, yeah. ding, flashing flags that would destroy my day. Right, right. So I have actually, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit about disabling distractions, which is a uh, a tactic or a way to maximize our attention. But yeah, I mean, I'm in meetings all the time. I'm on Zoom and I hear people's, you know, buzzes or vibrations going off. Um, and I, I also have disabled all of my distractions, mm -hmm. all of those notifications, um, except I get text notifications on my desktop if I don't go in every day and remember to shut it down. Mm -hmm. So those things are uh, you know, distracting and they're urgent, but they're not important. Right.
Those are good ones. Yeah. The other thing that I would add, Seth, is that I'm and I'm still working through this. So if Stegen has the four zones, mm-hmm. proactive, reactive, distraction and waste, I make a bit of a distinction with a focused and flow zone. Mm-hmm. So not everything at work is reactive. So sometimes I am doing exactly what I planned to do that day. I'm executing on it. I'm working through my list and it's not proactive or reactive. So I've just created another little slice of pie that I think is in the zone, what we might call flow, or just really focused. So I would add that to the model. What do you think about that? Well, that's because you're sophisticated. <laughs> you're, you're, you've, been, you've been working on, you know, you're a coach, you nerd out on all these journals and productivity things. And I think that's, that's, an, advanced, that's an advanced and subtle way of, of approaching it. But I think you're right. I think there are gradations that we can then go into around this. And I particularly relate to what you're saying as a person who has a creative practice. So I have a degree in music, you know, with a minor in dance and theater. So my training is actually as an artist. And so I approach everything really from the perspective of, you know, creativity and art. And the disciplines of creativity and art are the fundamental frameworks. Even if I'm using a business framework, I'm still in the back of my mind looking at the, you know, this is a creative act. And one of the mental models, and if there are two, two kind of pieces of value we might bring for your listeners today, it's around what are the models and what are the principles that underline being able to engage in life in a creative and meaningful way, a satisfying way, and a productive way. And one of the mental models that helps me when it comes to this idea of proactive zone or being focused or being in the flow is Stephen Pressfield's work around resistance, that generally speaking, anything in the proactive zone likely is going to come with resistance. Mm-hmm. And being anything that particularly around focused work is going to come with some resistance and any creative or generative work. So things that are like focused or flow. And when I'm writing my novel, I have currently what works for me is I put a 10-minute timer on to waste time before I write. It's like, for the listeners, I am not some like amazing human being that's like always super productive and has my ish together all the time. I am like, I'm a mess who has had to learn all these different structures and tools and ways to be alive just to help me manage being an adult. Right. So I'm interested in these things because I need them, not because I am some sophisticated human being. And I would add to that, Seth, that you're, I hate to say this, but typical in the sense that most of us don't come into the world highly disciplined and able to sit down and, quote, do the work as Stephen yeah. Pressfield would say. So we need, we need structures and practices to help us do that, um, including your 10-minute waste time. Right. And so when you said, like, we're all, we all have unique gifts to give and no one can give our, the gifts that we have. And we all have 
the same universal experience of resistance, according to Pressfield, which I agree, any act of creation or volition. And he says, you know, whether it involves anything involving exercise or being able to see your abs or <laughs> writing a novel or starting a business, anything that's volition and, and creative is going to have resistance. And it's both personal and universal. And this principle for me is so, what's refreshing about it is it's simple. Uh-huh. When I set out to do something, I will have resistance. And analyzing the resistance actually won't help me to complete the thing that I want to do. Because we're coaches, we could get stuck in the analyzing the resistance, right? Yep. And so when it comes to writing, that one of the great, what I love about the model of Pressfield's work is you, you have a scoreboard at the end of the day you know, resistance versus me. And it's either <laughs> resistance one, me zero, or me one, resistance zero on the thing that I'm committed to. Mm-hmm. And if it's writing the novel at the end of the day, I have to have an hour where I write at the end of the day, I set my timer for 10 minutes to waste time because that's just, it's just a thing that I do. And then I tried to structure it and say like, just like having the Netflix for a half hour after dinner for family time, okay, I'm going to waste time. I know this. Now it's done. Now I'm going to write. I'm going to write for a minimum of 30 minutes. It turns into more. Mm-hmm. There's that thing in my mind of like, oh, I don't want to sit still. But I say I could do it for a half an hour. So here's what I want to add with that and putting a little bit of structure and making this um, repeatable and a little bit more tangible. So I'm going to put this, what you're talking about, in a category of uh, weekly and daily planning, which we would put into the proactive zone. Mm -hmm. So every day, I know what I need to do. So I don't wake up in the morning and look at my calendar for the first time and realize I have a meeting that I didn't get prepared for. Right. So every Sunday, I look at my calendar I look at what I want to get done for the month, for the year, whatever, and I'm tracking that. So I'm calibrating where am I. And when I've got creative work to do, and we all do, even if it's not writing a novel, we all have creative work that we do in our work. Mm -hmm. And I also know which times of the day and which days of the week I am most likely to be creative or productive. I don't do any creative work late in the day. My brain fires in the morning. That doesn't mean everybody's brain does, but I know that when I set my calendar up. Mine doesn't. Yours does. Yeah, you're you're more of a night person. And I, I know a lot of people that are more, you know, late afternoon, they need to get their engine running, all of that. I wake up I'm more articulate, I'm more thoughtful, all of that. So I know that I need to get my thoughtful, creative work done in the morning. And the further into the week it gets, um, you know, like I, my brain gets tired. And so mm-hmm. definitely nothing on Friday afternoon. So mm-hmm. my, uh, my creative juices are done by about noon on Friday. And I know that about myself. So I plan my week according to that. I love that. I, I think of that as time sculpting. Like time using sculpting. The, using, the, mm-hmm. using the creative metaphor, like mm-hmm. being intentional about knowing how my, my weeks flow. Yep. 
Yep. And I also reflect. So there's, you know, we have all of these great practices from the performing arts, from athletics, um, where we look at game filming. It's hard in the professional world. We don't have a videotape or an audio tape to look at or to listen to, but we can still do that reflection at the end of the day. Um, did I do my creativity work like you were just talking about? So we can look at the day and say, what went well? You know, what what could I do even better and move into the next day with that? So I just, for me, the daily and weekly planning is um, invaluable and it's a it's a disciplined and deliberate practice. And if I didn't do that, I would be lost. Well, let's stay with that for a second, because we're talking about the importance of the proactive zone. And, and Stegen Leadership Academy would say the most important practice in the proactive zone is what they would call weekly focusing. Mm-hmm. And what's, you know, what's interesting about that, we look at, if, if I stay with this idea that there are models and there are principles, that the models out there that people might know about when it comes to productivity are getting things done, seven habits of highly effective people, Tony Robbins rapid planning method, and on and on and on. There are many models, but mm-hmm. the principle that is universal among them all is that all these systems and pretty much all cultures, they think about their life in terms of weeks. There's no major culture on the planet that doesn't think about that there are seven day cycles with some rest involved in that. And when in doubt, go to the ancient wisdom traditions, right? And the idea that you have a day of rest, that there's, a, there's certain things to be done on certain days, and that we take the time to reflect on the week and plan the next week mm-hmm. as, as a principle that just transcends all these different models. There are a few exceptions, but if you look at Productive people in all disciplines, painters, writers, jet pilots, dancers, luge, doesn't matter. (laughs) And you look at their life and you ask them, like, how do you manage your time? Well, you know, I plan my time. And typically, people do this on a weekly basis. And so the practice that we're talking about then is once a week, I reflect on my previous week and I look ahead to the next week and I get a sense of what the flow is and what you, what you had articulated was, and if I want to take it the next step, there are certain things I do on certain days. And the more I have a rhythm to my week, the more the body, which loves things to be in rhythm and routine, is going to perform well. Mm-hmm. Creative work on Monday, creative work on Friday, or, you know, coaching work on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever that flow is. And being able to chunk those things down into a rhythm, that's another principle, Mm -hmm. right? Having certain rhythms to our week that work for us. And then going back to what we were talking about with the, the reactive waste distraction zones, knowing that all of those things are going to be demanding our attention or tempting us during that time. One of the one of the stories that I often use when I'm teaching this model is from the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin, he was very productive. W- whatever you feel about, you know, whether you re- relate to this guy or not, he was very productive. He was an ambassador for the U.S. He was the first postmaster general. He helped found the University of Pennsylvania. 
He founded, you know, the, the prototypical mastermind group called the Junta Group. He pioneered a bunch of civic uh, engagement stuff like having fire department, etc. Of course, he innovated uses of electricity. He invented musical instruments, the bifocal glasses, the Franklin stove. He oh, my a, God. He was a self-help <laughs> author. He wrote Poor Richard's Almanac under a pen name. So he was a very productive guy. And he had this practice, which is unaligned with our approach to human development, that, you know, every week I'm going to practice something to get better and I'm going to track how I'm doing. And he had 13 virtues that he practiced. And he would do that four times a year. And so it was four cycles of 13 for 52 weeks total. And the virtues were things like industriousness, humility, temperance. One of the virtues that he practiced was orderliness. And he said he almost gave up the entire experiment with having this virtues practice, which he did basically his whole life, starting from his early 20s. And the virtues practice, I mean, it's so simple, but so powerful. And I think one of the reasons he was very productive is that he had this practice that he kept working at. But he almost gave it all up because he, he said in his autobiography, I should give up this endeavor because I cannot cope with my meetings and my papers. I cannot keep them in order. And my sensibility on this is if Benjamin Franklin in 1792 couldn't cope with his meetings and his papers, you know, we need to give ourselves a break. Because mm-hmm. how much more do, are we coping with every day? Not to mention that there is this existential dilemma that we have as modern or postmodern oriented folks where it's like, not only do we have meetings and papers, but we go to the store and we want to buy socially responsible, you know, it's like, I can buy mustard and I want to get like the mustard that was made by people that weren't involved in slave labor. And, you know, I want like my clothes to be made. All of a sudden, like everything I'm doing has this kind of loaded meaning and purpose behind it. And I'm, uh, as Robert Keegan says, I'm in over my head half the time, overwhelmed by my responsibility. Like my marriage has to be meaningful. I have to be a good parent. My great grandparents weren't thinking about their marriage being meaningful. (laughs) They were just getting up. They had farm work to do in on the Russian steps and they were just doing what they needed to do. They weren't thinking about who, what their gender was or their spiritual orientation or all of the choices we have are actually points of stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's overwhelming and our minds get fatigued trying to balance our it minds all. minds get fatigued. Yeah. And then what do, what do I do? I go into checkout mode. Mm. I go into the warm campfire storytelling of Netflix and I just want to stay there and turn off. But that, that creates a cycle, right, of like, I get overly reactive and I go into distraction and waste. And that's where we are with this model for most people. Mm-hmm. So what's the antidote? What, what do we do, Leanne? How do we cope with all of this, the dilemmas of modern life, which are not bad? It's like, these are good problems. And there's almost like people feel guilty because it's like, life's not really hard but it's hard. Yeah. So again, going to some uh, ancient uh, wisdom that the middle way is the hardest. Mm. You know, the Buddhists say the middle way is the hardest. So you could give up and you could zone out and check out in front of Netflix, or you could get, you know, 
hyper productive. I was just listening to someone talk about the uh, four hour work week, which is uh, yet another model. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, he did all of the things in the book, but that he was miserable. It got kind of flat. And so we don't want to get so productive that we take the meaning out of life and so structured. Right. And we don't want to be giving up. So and we have more and more demands on us right now. So finding that middle way, number one, it's different for each of us. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we're mindful of where we are and kind of find that. And it's it's constantly it's iterative, it feels to me, and that we're, it, it takes a constant evaluation, um, being gentle with ourselves and holding standards. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you and I will often tell clients in the programs we work on together is, and this relates back to the Benjamin Franklin point, it's the getting back to the practice that's the most important. Mm-hmm. So what does this mean? Benjamin Franklin wanted to give up on his virtues practice, tracking each, each day of every week on how he did with that virtue for the week, checking a box, literally with pencil and paper. How did I do with orderliness today? And for him to fail on Monday, fail on Tuesday, fail on Wednesday, fail on Thursday, to meet the, his ideal, to fail all week, and then come back 13 weeks later and try it again, come back and do that for years, but keep, keep trying to improve. This, and, and this is how it relates to attention management. This is what I see as the most important thing we can do to live a fulfilling, satisfying life is have an ideal, keep track of it each week. When we're planning our week, say, here's what's important to me and I'm willing to go for it again, even if I don't live up to my expectations. And then the next week say, man, you know what? Ah, it's, it's hard, it's disheartening. And this is where the spiritual or the, I'm just gonna say spiritual, being heartened or disheartened and having courage and with the root word core, the French word, you know, it takes courage to have dreams and goals and want to improve our lives. And discouragement, it's a big part of productivity. This isn't just about squeezing more productivity out of a machine. There is an emotional dimension to, am I encouraged to continue to try to work towards my ideals? Because we get discouraged, disheartened, and we give up on the things that are important to us. So one of the most important things that I see in this, in that weekly planning, reflecting on my previous week and looking at the next week, is to come back to what's important to me. Yep. And I think that is a great place to kind of bring the conversation here today to a close, because I think that's what I want to leave people with, is that we're always looking at and orienting around for the sake of what mm-hmm. am I wanting to manage my attention? Am I wanting to be present? Am I wanting to watch what I'm being distracted by? Because there's something bigger that I'm committed to that won't happen if I don't pay attention to it. Mm. That sounds like a great place to <laughs> put a bow tie on it, wrap it up, put it under the tree. Yes. Call it Christmas. Yeah. Seth, thank you for your time this morning. 
And I want to let people know that we'll have some links in the show notes for the Attention Zones PDF and to stay in Leadership Academy and to some of the other things that we've talked about in the episode today. What parting words might you have with people as we're signing off? I I just to reiterate what you had just said, you know, the, the basic practice of once a week, looking at what's important to you, your values, your goals, just having the courage to continue to be willing to fail at Hmm. things that are important to you, but stay in the game. Stay in the game. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world.